Thank you, David and Elise. <clears throat> and once again, a welcome to our visitors. Uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, sharing God's word with you again, and uh, as we look forward to the prospect of a uh, of a new year now, the beginning of a new year, we've, uh, we're continuing with our look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter six. And if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn with me to chapter six. Verses 5 to 8 this morning. Last week we looked at uh, a section where Jesus spoke about alms or spoke about giving to the poor and the way or the manner in which it should have been done. And today he's speaking to us about uh, prayer and the way we should pray and the manner, not just the manner, but the heart in which that should be done. Read with me this morning as we, uh, as we look at God's word. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, when thou shut, hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which is seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask them. Let's uh, go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for your precious word, and we thank you for this opportunity we have, Father, to look into it. Lord, this morning our heart uh, desires that we would be fed of your word, that those things which you would have us to understand, Lord, would be taught to us directly by your spirit, but that you would use me, Lord, to convey this message and this truth. Lord, I just pray that in doing so, that you would always hide me behind that cross. We thank you once again for the relationship we have with you. We thank you for your precious word, which you have preserved for us, which we can trust with all of our hearts. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that our Lord and our Saviour was willing to go to that cross for our sake, that we might be saved from our own sin, from our own selfishness and greed. And we thank you that you've given us a home. Father, we just ask that you bless us now. And we ask that Jesus will be glorified in this service and this message today. In his precious name we pray. Amen. We live in a generation where people struggle with relationships. We struggle with relationships ourselves, uh, even from a young age. You think about the conflicts, the misunderstandings, the misjudgments, the not understanding each other when we try to communicate one with another, how common that is in our society. People today are more connected than any other time in history. We have more ways to speak to each other and communicate with each other than any other time in history. In fact, we don't even need to be in the vicinity of each other. And we can communicate instantly with each other. But what it seems that the more words that are said, the less that's actually spoken. The more things that are, that are communicated, the less is actually understood and heard. 
Even though our modes of communication have increased exponentially over the last few years, our communication with each other has actually deteriorated. There's a lot being said, but there's less being connected. And people are feeling more and more lonely, amazingly enough. When you can, you can communicate via phones, I mean, we, when, we, when I was growing up, there were no mobile phones, as most of you understand. You had, a, you had a phone and you had it in your home and you only, that would be the mode of communication. Before the phones came out, there was no other unless you, unless you either sent a letter, which was written, or you spoke to someone face to face. But today we um, were able to communicate at an instant. Most people carry mobile phones with them. Most people know how to SMS. There are things called Facebook and and all types of ways of, of letting people know what you're doing and how you're doing it. But the funny thing is that even though we have many more modes of communication, the numbers of genuine friends that people have is less. And that's because you can have a thousand people that you let know what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, you can let them know everything that you do. I mean, people take photos of, a, of the food they, they eat and they send it off, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with, with all that sort of stuff. But you can have a thousand, a thousand friends like that and not have one genuine friend. You can have a thousand people that you speak and let, everything, let everyone know about what you're doing and, and, and all this sort of stuff, but you may have no friends that you can genuinely connect with who understand you as a person. There aren't many people, I would imagine, that each of us would share our innermost feelings with. You could probably count them on one hand, the types of people that you can trust to actually share your heart without risking something. Relationships. There are people who enter into relationships, as I've understood, being in the ministry now for a number of years, who enter into relationships that are damaging. And it's because people crave to be understood. They want to be heard. They want to connect with someone. So what they do in their desperation to connect with people, they enter into relationships with people who will inevitably damage them and take advantage of them. And, they, and oftentimes they're willing to do that simply with the hope or in the hope that someone will actually make them be happy, help them to feel understood and heard. But oftentimes this desire or this need for this relationship becomes a prison for that person. They become bound and handcuffed and they willingly make themselves a prisoner because of the fear if they lose that person, they will never replace them. Then there are games that people play with relationships. They play with each other and they use relationships to leverage power with one another. They use it to influence other people and they use status to make themselves more powerful than other people. They seek to build up status using relationships to impress other people. And their goal 
is to be admired, loved and respected. So what they do is they use their jobs, their assets and the people that they know, their connections, as items of social status to paint a picture for everyone else so people look up to them. We've all done that to a certain extent. And the hypocrites in Jesus' day, the ones he's speaking about in this passage, were guilty of doing the same things. They were the ones who were guilty of manipulating people's insecurities and their loneliness. They were the ones who entered into those relationships seeking to take advantage of the other person. Those who were more vulnerable than them. They were guilty of not only taking advantage of the vulnerable people, but they were guilty of taking advantage of God himself and using that supposed relationship they had with God to impress other people. You see, in Jesus' day, to be connected to God, to be a priest, to be someone who was in uh, religious authority was a social status symbol, was a status thing. People looked up to you. So certain people took advantage of that to promote themselves and take advantage of those who were weaker. They would make a public display of their supposed relationship with God and in a culture where social status was linked with your religion, there were many victims as a result. This is the story of this passage. That people would use God as a tool to promote themselves and usurp authority over people who are more vulnerable and disadvantaged. And it comes with a warning, Jesus says, that the relationship that, that you have with God today is not something to be taken advantage of for personal gain. We've seen too much of it in our culture. I mean, I think of some of these televangelists and I wonder, as they're riding around with their Rolls Royces and, you know, and flying around with private jets and they have the most, wear the most expensive jewellery and, uh, and, uh, and clothes, that the people they take advantage of, the people they ask to send their money, they're doing exactly the same thing. It comes with a warning. The Bible says that God is not fooled by the tricks of men. Men might be fooled, but God isn't. Turn with me to, to Galatians chapter 6. Because Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 gives us a bit of a, a description of this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. 
But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And this is the exact thing that was happening. These men were sowing to their flesh to satisfy their pride, to boost their own ego, to make themselves higher in the realm of men and not in the eyes of God. And God says, because you, your focus is on you, because your focus is to elevate yourself in front of men, rather to elevate me, God, you have your reward. The Bible says there, he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. The, the amazing thing when you look at uh, the, the gospel of Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, you notice that most of the rebuking that Jesus did was to who? The religious leaders of his day. The men who should have been the most humble, the most spiritual, the ones who should have understood that their job was to feed the people of God. Instead, what they did is they used their status, their position to actually dominate everyone else. Man hasn't changed. Man hasn't changed at all. Whether it's government or churches or... Men still try to do the same thing. The power plays that people do with each other on a daily basis, at work, in churches, still exists. If you're not aware of it, if you haven't seen it, then maybe you will, if you take a bit more notice of what people say, how they respond, what they do to build up their image in front of other people, you realise that many people are in the business of promoting themselves, of making themselves look good in front of other people. Heaven forbid that people will see a vulnerability in this wonderful persona that I'm building up. Because if they see weakness, people might judge me, and I can't let them know that. I'll let them know all the wonderful things that I do, all the great things that have happened. But I can't let them see that I've, I have weaknesses. can't let them see that I struggle. can't let them see that, that I have the same problems that other people have. So people walk around with the veneer, with the mask. Yeah, there's, a, there's a festival in, uh, in, in um, Venice, very famous, where people put on masks. And they, they, they go around anonymously and they, and they do it. So they don't have to be themselves in front of other people. They can actually be who they want to be, in a sense. But the problem is that most people actually are living lives that they, they actually aren't. They're actually living lives that are different to who they actually are. So the Bible says this is an exact description of what a hypocrite is. Because a hypocrite is a stage actor. A hypocrite is a person who says something... But, but behind the mask, there's something else going on. What they say doesn't match with what they actually do. And unfortunately, in our society, and going back, we're not, we're not special, our society. If you look at the Christian churches and the people that call themselves Christians, you will see, if you scratch the surface just a little bit, that there is hypocrisy in huge amounts. That what they say they are, when they call themselves a Christian, what they're saying is that they're a disciple and a follower of Christ. 
And as soon as you look at their lifestyle, it's the exact opposite. It shouldn't be this way. The beautiful thing that God allowed or God gives to a person is relationships. When God created man, you remember what he said? It is not good that man is alone. It is not good for him to be alone. So that God, the first thing he does straight after he creates Adam is he creates a woman. So the first relationship, sorry, the second relationship, because the first relationship Adam had was with God himself. But God knew that Adam needed other people around him. So then he creates a woman, which then opens the door for families and then friends. God understands that man isn't meant to be alone. And there are many benefits that we have because we have relationships with each other. I won't go into all, all the benefits, but you think about having a mate, those of you who are married, all the benefits that come from having a partner. And when you have friends, all the benefits that come from having friends. Think of your family. All the benefits that come from having a family. Sometimes we, um, we don't appreciate what we have that much. Sometimes the most important things we have in our lives are sitting right under our noses and we miss them completely. But God created relationships to be a blessing one to another, to support each other. Because in this world there are enough battles to take care of together and to do it alone. But the greatest relationship that we have the greatest, the most important relationship that we could possibly have and own is a relationship with God. And this is where prayer comes into it because prayer is our mode of communication with him. Prayer is, is us expressing to God what's in here. You know when I said to you there aren't many people in your life that you'll willingly tell everything that's inside here? Well, God is one of those people. God is the person. You can tell everything in your heart too and it's safe. Because God is not seeking to take advantage of us. His only desire for us is to, lo- is to love. So when we were able to speak with God, this is a, an incredible benefit to us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll look at just a, just a couple of benefits that we have simply because we can pray. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. It says there, seeing then that we have a great high priest, and that's Jesus, okay, that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, which means he understands exactly what we're going through, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy and grace are there if we would come before God's throne. Mercy and grace. Mercy we need because we sin all the time. We sin without realising it. And as we grow closer to God, the the Bible teaches that we should be even more sensitive to sin. 
That God, the closer you get to God and to his light, the more sins revealed in your life. The first thing God does when you give your life to him is he deals with those big ones pretty much straight away. And then slowly, slowly, as you get closer to him, you realise there are things deeper and deeper that have been lurking there for so long and God's light reveals them one by one. And you're able to deal with them. We need mercy each day. And it's beautiful that God's mercies are new every morning because if God's mercies weren't new every morning, I would be lost. Because there isn't a day goes by that I don't do something wrong and I need his mercy. But the other thing that I need is grace. And grace is something that God gives to us when we never didn't deserve it in the first place, but it's something that helps us to overcome. So not only is God understanding and merciful to me when I do wrong, when I make mistakes, but God actually gives me the energy and the ability to be able to overcome those things when I realise them. And that grace actually helps me to realise it as well. So that's the, that's the, there's nothing more that we actually need. The mercy and the grace of God which come from and flow from the love that he has for us. And we have the ability to gain those things when we come before his throne. Blessing number one. Blessing number two, I'll just read it to you. Philippians chapter four, verse six says, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be, don't be consumed with worries about things. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. There is something that that prayer gives, and that's peace. If you have a relationship with God and you're able to speak to him and make your requests made known to him, it says here, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't go around your life being stressed. You don't need to. Because there is one who is in control of everything. And you can come and speak to him anytime you like. And the Bible says there is a peace which passeth all understanding. In other words, there is a peace that this world cannot know, that cannot comprehend. Because we have a direct link to God and we can go before him and speak to him. And know that he understands us. And he will give us what we need. There is a peace from knowing that. If you don't have peace today, it's probably because you don't trust God. You lack faith that God will look after you. But there is a peace from having a relationship with God. The problem is, though, that sin causes us to run away from God. When people sin, the first thing they do is what Adam and Eve did, is that they hid in the bushes. And the devil plays the same game. He's done that for years and years, and he plays the same, the same tricks all the time on people. And people fall for him because there are new people that are born and die and born and die. So he plays the same tricks over and over again. And, the, and one trick that he, that he uses is that when we make a mistake, when we sin, the first thing we should do is be ashamed and run away from God. The exact opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says as soon as you sin, you are to run to God. Unfortunately, too many people run away from God. And then they seek to pray. And the Bible says that God doesn't hear their prayers because they're not willing to come to him in the right way. You see, First Peter says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. 
and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. That's why unbelievers, people who don't believe in God, people who, no, let me, let me rephrase that, because that's obvious. People who say they believe in God, but aren't born again, but don't have a genuine relationship, God does not hear their prayers. Because their lifestyles betray them. But let's have a look and see at an example. Let's have a look at an example of, of the way God wants us to come to him. Turn to Luke chapter 18 with me. You've heard this, this uh, story a number of times, but it's every time I read it, there's something new that comes out. Luke 18.9 says, And he spake this parable unto certain, uh, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The other publican was a sinner. Okay? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes at all, of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that is humble that he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Do you remember the the, the the sermon I gave about the leper? And I equated the way the leper came to the Lord Jesus Christ with prayer. And there were things, certain things the leper did, and certain certain things that he said that actually typified the right way we should approach God. And the first one was effort. Because it's hard for that publican, it was hard for that leper to stand before God and say, there's nothing right with me. God, there's too many things wrong with me. And I don't deserve to be even speaking to you. The leper understood this and simply made a proclamation of faith saying, if you will, you can make me clean. The publican here understood his sin, and yet he, he lowered himself before God. In other words, he raised God up. The one who thought he was good, the one who thought he had everything under control and that he was righteous in his own eyes, lowered God and raised himself. And the Bible says that the publican, the sinner, actually went home justified. There is a right way and a wrong way to approach God in prayer. And the right way is to firstly understand that we have nothing to give. We have nothing to give. Everything we have is given from him. Every good gift is from above. And if you're saved this morning, if you have a relationship with God, do you think you earned it? You didn't earn it. 
You didn't deserve it. And you, and amazingly enough, you never will. You never will deserve that relationship with God. He gave it to you and me as a gift. So for us to think of ourselves any higher, any better, any more holy than other people is folly. It's a joke. Because anything good in me comes from him. It's only because I have his word and that is working on my mind and in my heart. And it's only because the spirit of God dwells within me that anything good is happening within me. We should never consider ourselves higher than anyone else. Let's have a look and see four simple points. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and we'll look at just four points the Lord makes. The Lord says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of them. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Notice Jesus says, when they pray, or when you pray, not if you pray. Because he assumes that if you have a relationship with God, and if you believe that God exists, you will want to speak to him and you will. It's got nothing to do with uh, options here. The child of God or the believer in God will and must pray. Prayer is not something we just attach onto our lives later on or when we feel like it. Rather, it's, it should be the heart of our lives because it reflects the deepest and most important relationship that we have. And we learn, need to learn to discipline our souls to pray whether we feel like it or not. Let me ask you a question. We've all got families. Do you always feel like talking to your family members? Are you always in the mood to speak to them? Are you always in the right frame of mind when you speak? Tell me. The answer is obviously no. Because sometimes we're tired, sometimes we're annoyed, sometimes there's other things going on in our lives, and sometimes you don't feel like talking. But do you make an effort? Yeah, we generally do. And if you don't make an effort, that's a problem. Because any relationship is worth the effort. And if you don't put any effort into, whether it's a marriage, whether it's children, whether it's grandparents, whether it's friends, if there's no effort put in, what you're basically saying is, this relationship isn't worth it. Any relationship needs effort. Martin Luther once said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. So Jesus assumes that you will pray. It's your job. It's who you should be. It should come naturally. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues, right, in the middle of churches, who love to pray in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Imagine a husband. Imagine this, this, this husband or this, this man is married to a woman and he's the pastor of a church, right? Imagine he's a pastor and he, at home he never speaks to his wife. They don't speak at all. 
He never speaks to her, doesn't have any relationship with her in a sense. They don't. He doesn't show any sign of affection or anything. And yet, when he comes to church, he puts on the display and he shows people how wonderful their relationship is. And he speaks to her and he does all these things and he shows her affections and he says in front of other people, I love you, darling, and all this sort of stuff. Let me ask you a question. What would you think of that person? What respect would you have for that person? Not much, huh? That person we would call a hypocrite because what he's doing is in his private life, he's behaving one way, but in his public life, he's portraying an image which is not real, which is a fake. This is what these people were doing with God. In private, they had no relationship with God. They weren't speaking to God. In public, they were making out as if they had this incredible relationship with God. They would love to pray. Brother, would you like to pray for us? Sure, let me go to the front and give you my most long-winded prayer that I can uh, utter. Jesus says they have their reward. In other words, what they wanted, right, they got. What they wanted was for people to look at them and say, look how holy he is. Look how wonderful he prays. Imagine what sort of relationship this person must have with God. Jesus says they've had their reward. They got their accolades. They got their what they wanted. But they have no reward with God. They lost a thing which was more valuable than than the praise of men. The praise of men is here today and gone tomorrow. It doesn't exist anymore. But the praise of God are eternal. And Jesus isn't, isn't condemning all public prayer because Jesus himself prayed publicly. It wasn't, it wasn't about public praying because we pray publicly here. Alan just prayed publicly. I prayed before the sermon. David prayed at the beginning of the, of the message. It doesn't mean that all public prayer is wrong. But the way and the desire and the want for that prayer is what is what matters not many of us can relate to praying on the street corners for just to be seen of men I don't remember last time I prayed in the street corner just to make sure that people who you know saw me and uh, and thought that I was ultra spiritual however the temptation still exists today to stand in front of a group of people in a church setting, and pray. And then to think in yourself how wonderful you are when you pray. And to like the accolades. And to to seek for them. Jesus says it's hypocritical. Because when a person prays, even publicly, their heart and their mind should be set and focused on God himself. Not on the people that are listening to that prayer. Do you want God to answer your prayers, to reward you as you seek him? Then be careful how you pray. Pray to him sincerely. Pray with your mind set on him and him alone. It's in the same vein, the same problem that the people who were giving money away to the poor 
When Jesus says in verse 1, Take heed that you do not your arms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Once again, the focus of that person is on the earth, is to gain their riches on the earth, to build their wealth and their, and their, and their pride and their ego on the earth, not in heaven. Look at the next verse, verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Does this mean that I've got to find a closet in my house to pray in? Does this mean I've got to go after going up in a wardrobe or something and then close the door and then pray in there? No, it doesn't mean that. What this, what this, is, what this means is that you are to pray God to God privately. To find a place where you're not distracted, where you're not doing it, where there's no risk of you actually doing it in front of everyone else and doing it for show. Because if, you, if all you're, you're concerned about is the show, then this won't happen, this thing. Praying in private within a, in a room by yourself with the door closed behind you won't happen. The mark of a strong relationship is wanting to be with the other person alone. Think about that. The mark of a strong relation, relationship is wanting to be with a person and talk to them one-on-one without the distractions of a thousand people around you. When two people are courting, think of it. When two people are courting, and they, do they not want to spend time together? And they look for ways to be able to speak to each other without, without other people being around. I know that when my father was courting my mother, in those days, whenever he'd go to, to, uh, to visit my mum at, uh, at my, my grandpa's house over there, um, the only way he could really see her was with my great-grandmother sitting in the middle. Not an environment that really generates, you know, a lot of personal conversation. So my father, who was a qualified hairdresser, one day he decided to cut my mum's hair. And lo and behold, they were in the laundry together. Was it laundry? I think it was. He was cutting her hair. And my great-grandmother wasn't around. So while he's cutting away, they could have as much conversation as they liked. It wasn't long before my mum went from having long hair to short back and sides. <laughs> but this is the point. I mean, it's funny, as funny as that is, this is the point, isn't it? What's our desire about God? Is our desire to be with God alone? Because that will really tell you what your relationship is like with him. It's okay to be in a church, okay? And, it's, and this is one type of worship, that we come together and we worship God together, and it's beautiful. But your real, the real test, the real mark of whether a person has a good relationship with God is yours and my desire to actually want to be with him alone. Alone. That I can just pour out my heart to him, to let him know how I feel, to, to share all my fears, my doubts, my dreams with him. Because there's no one who understands me more than he does. The desire to speak to God shouldn't come from a desire for you to show off in front of other people. The desire to speak to God should come from a, a desire just to be you and him. Because a relationship you understand is the most important thing you have in your life. That's the idea of praying in secret. 
go to verse 7. But when you pray, it says, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. You know, those of us who have had kids, who have had children. And children have a way of repeating themselves when they want something over and over and over and over and over again. And it becomes annoying. When you've told them no once, they keep going until they get what they want. Because by, by thinking they, they'll, they'll, they, of, by wanting to talk more and more and more, they think they'll wear you down. And we can be worn down, can't we? So we, if you're a parent, how many times have you given in to them just to keep them quiet? And the heathen, the people in, in, in religions, in certain religions, think the same thing. They can repeat the same thing over and 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 over again, the same words over and over again, thinking that they can wear down God and he'll eventually listen to them. That one of those things will come through and by my many words, he'll be impressed. And the more words that I speak, the more chance I've got of, hear, of, of getting heard. And in Jesus' day, it was the same. That they would repeat mantras over and over and over again. Actually, the Jews had their, their prayer formulas as well. Where they repeat those things and so many times over and over again, thinking that by the many words they speak, that somehow God will be worn down and he'll give you what you want. But Jesus says this is vain. Vain means useless, not worth anything. To be repeating words over and over again. And Jesus himself actually repeated things, but in a very different way. You see, he, remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he, had, he, was, he was faced with being betrayed, having to carry, being whipped. He knew it was coming. Then carry that cross up Calvary and then to be hung on that, on that cross and die for the sins of this world. To have the, the sins of the whole world heaped upon his shoulders. He knew it was coming. The Bible says he asked the Father three times, if this cup can pass for me, let it be. But nevertheless, not my will but thine. He asked that three times. Then he accepted God's answer. Do you remember Paul? When Paul was, had a thorn in his side, the Bible says, and it isn't specific about what he, what he had that was wrong, and it was troubling him. He prayed to God how many times? Three times. And by the third time he understood, and God made it clear that he wasn't going to take that thing away, that he, it was there for a reason to keep him humble. But God doesn't, that's not the same as repeating the same prayer over and over and over again. Look at verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask them. Let me ask you a question. If you had a relationship with someone, a best friend, someone who, who was so close to you that even that knew exactly the way you felt, 
who knew exactly the way, what you were feeling inside, who knew even before you spoke what you were going to say. Imagine a friend like that. Imagine that that friend even understood every gesture that you made, what it meant. That when you looked down like this, it meant that you were sad. Or when you, or when you, when you were more quiet with your speech or when you, when you were under stress, he understood what was going on because he understood exactly everything about your life. That would be a friend. Because part of the things that we struggle with is, is helping or making people understand what I've got in here, isn't it? Feelings are the hardest things to explain to people. And we spend most of our life trying to explain our feelings with little success most of the time. But imagine a friend who is so close to you, who understands you so well that you don't even have to speak and he already understands what you're feeling. Well, you do have a friend like that. Because there's a friend who understands everything you feel. He understands everything you've gone through in the past and he even knows what you're going to come up against in the future. There is a friend who understands your frustration. He understands every word you will speak before you speak it. Now let me ask you a question. If, that, if you had a friend like that, what would your conversation be like? Would you keep repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again, hoping that your friend will one day understand what you're, what you're going through? You won't. Your words to your friend will be clear, concise. And if you look at Scripture, if you look at the prayers that occur in Scripture, there aren't many long-winded prayers. They're often very concise, clear, to the point. Because, God, because the, the, the confidence is that he who you're speaking to understands already. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't many things to pray about, but it means long-winded prayers, superfluous, because God already knows. The Bible even teaches that when we struggle to find the words to pray, that the Spirit within us prays and groans with words that, are, that we don't even hear or understand, Interceding for us. The beautiful thing is that God knows everything about me and you. He understands every feeling you're feeling today. He understands your circumstances, your past, your struggles, your weaknesses. You don't need to explain those things to him. He knows them already. Even more important than these facts about God is the reality that when you come to him, he is listening to you perfectly. Wives, do you often struggle to get your husband to understand and listen to what you're saying? Is it a challenge sometimes when, when you're saying something and your husband isn't paying exact attention to you? He might be distracted by something else. I'm guilty of that. So when you speak to God, he listens perfectly. There is not one word that escapes his attention. There is not, there isn't anyone else who's distracting him while he's listening to you. You don't have to repeat yourself over and over again. 
because he can never be distracted. He listens perfectly. He understands you perfectly, even if you don't know the right words to say. And he listens with empathy and love. Some people listen indifferently. With that, this is what communication is about too. When you listen to someone and there's a conversation taking place, one person enters into the other person's domain, let's say, and there's empathy happening. There's an understanding and there's a feeling that goes on. There's a feeling, of, there's a connection that happens. God connects with you and me every time we speak. He understands us perfectly. And not just the understanding, but when we speak, he empathises with us. He understands what you're going through and he feels for you. Because he loves you. And you can't understand that love. You can't even comprehend it. But imagine the best love that you've ever, you've ever experienced, in a sense, from someone. The person who's loved you the most. Who understands you the most. And then multiply that by, I won't say a million, because it's beyond your understanding. But multiply that by ten even. And you, you start to get just a, a glimpse of the way God loves you and me. So when we speak, there is no doubt in our minds that who we're speaking to knows us, understands us, listens to us and loves us. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. God is not swayed by the quantity of words, but the quality of the heart. And the quality that we need the most when we pray to God is faith. We need faith. Not just faith when we say, when we say, oh, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for my sins. Yes, I believe that. And that is the foundation of my life. That his blood was shed to cover and to, cle to cleanse me of all my sin. I am now, I've now been adopted into his family and I have a home in heaven. That's my foundation. I now have a relationship with Christ. But... It's believing on all the things that the Bible says that he is. It's believing that he loves, that he has mercy, that he has compassion, that he's patient. You remember all the things in, in Corinthians chapter 13 that speaks about love? Love is patient and kind and, and all those things. God is all of those things and more. And when I, when I come to God, I should come to him with that understanding. Because if I believe that God... Isn't all for me. If I believe that God is um, doesn't love me completely, if I believe in my heart or there's doubt that God is as kind or compassionate and caring as the Bible says he is, then I can't come to the throne boldly, can I? I won't come boldly. I'll, I will retract myself. And I've fallen for the same lie the Bible the, that the devil gave Adam and Eve, that God didn't care for them, that he wanted, he didn't want to share with them. Something that would have made them like gods themselves. He was holding back on them. Don't fall for that. God cares for you more than you can understand. And he's the first one you should go to whenever you have any trouble or problem in your life. He understands it. Now, he may not give you everything you want, but he'll give you everything you need. And he'll do it in the, in the best possible way. So, let's close. Prayer has many benefits because of what Jesus did. 
because of who Jesus is. He sacrificed open the door for the individual to be freed from the condemnation of the law so that sin no longer separates and breaks that relationship. And because that's been taken away, the Bible says we can now be restored to God and have a wonderful relationship with, with him. And every relationship that we know of in our lives requires work and effort. Therefore, the relationship we have with God should be, let me ask you a question, the least effort, a medium effort, or the most effort? If it's the most important, if it is what we say it is, if it is what the Bible teaches it is, then the most effort we should put in is the relationship with him, above every other relationship in our lives. It is the most important relationship because it's the one relationship that you will take with you when you die, that will continue and it's guaranteed to continue when you die. When we speak with the Lord, the manner in which we speak to him will reflect our relationship to him. Don't have any desire to pray to him privately, then there's a problem with your relationship. Or there may be no relationship. And you coming to church may simply be a facade that you're putting on to make you either feel better, to make you feel accepted, or some other reason. I don't know. But you do. You do know. Our hearts are not that deceptive that we don't know deep down what we, why we're doing certain things. So, let me ask you this morning. What's the most important relationship that you have? Is it him? If it's him, then let's start this year by focusing our... Communication with him, focusing on him in our thoughts, our words, and the way we pray. Let's put him first. Let's forget about impressing other people. Life is not about impressing people because people are here today and gone tomorrow. People's opinions of you will change from day to day and people judge wrongly. The most important opinion you should be seeking is God's. He's the most important opinion that you should have in your life. And if you're not saved this morning, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, then don't waste another day without having that relationship created. There is no better place to be than in his love and his care. God bless you.